0: You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. Janet Lee Berg joins us, author of the novel Rembrandt's Shadow. How you doing, Janet?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on the program. And this is a very uh, interesting story based on true events. Uh, Rembrandt's Shadow is uh, set in uh, the era of World War II, the time of the Holocaust. And the, the Novel, or the story in it, is based on events in uh, your husband's family. His name is Bruce Berg uh, during the Holocaust in in, uh, the Netherlands. Just to say one more thing about that, then I want to ask you about it. Uh, Apparently, his grandfather, Benjamin Katz, and a granduncle, Nathan Katz, were art dealers who traded valuable paintings for Jewish lives. Uh, c- can you t- tell us the family story?
1: I sure can. Um, the real story uh, that appeared in the New York Times is about the extraordinary history of those two art dealers, my husband's grandfather, Benjamin, and his uncle, Nathan. Um, they were forced to trade a Rembrandt called Portrait of Rahman to the Nazis in exchange for 25 Jewish lives. And they had been targeted by the Nazis for a couple of years before they were occupied in um, 1940, May of 1940. They were invaded. Um, at that time, also, the Queen, Wilhelmina, abandoned, uh, left, fled to England with most of the government.
0: Mm-hmm. And... What are some of the statistics on the, on the Holocaust? Apparently 75% of the Jews living in the Netherlands were exterminated?
1: Yes, that's incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the 75%, I, there are a few reasons why I think that uh, was the largest proportion in the, um, all of Europe. And it is because of the terrain. Uh, the, there were no mountains to hide in. Um, like other countries, like in Belgium and France. And um, also the Queen had uh, fled, so uh, that was another reason. And also they were taken by surprise uh, during the Rotterdam Blitz. They Mm -hmm. had antiquated weapons, and uh, panic set in. They they kind of knew what was coming. Mm -hmm. There were 700 attempted suicides Mm. at that time.
0: Now I also gather that your husband's uh, relatives or ancestors, um, being art dealers, th- they kind of played this card, if you will, which was pretty unique uh, before. You know, even before g- trying to get the uh, 25 uh, Jews saved with the one painting, and the reason being that the Nazi hierarchy, uh, all the way up to Adolf Hitler, they had, a, uh, they were very interested in getting art getting works of art
1: yes Um, if I may back up a little Hitler uh, he's a frustrated failed art student and at one time I don't know the name of the school but he went before a panel of judges who were mostly Jewish and they denied him um, um, being a student at their school and so he was angry about that. But he desired art that he considered not degenerate art, which was the Dutch masters, which the grandfather and uncle uh, had many Rembrandts and, and and wonderful pieces that he had had his eye on for quite some time. They weren't that far in, in the little village of Dieren. They, Dieren was not that far from the German border. So uh, it was easy for—Goring, um, actually, went into their home and into their gallery. Uh, there were two galleries, one in Dieren and one in The Hague. And um, Herman would go in with a gun in his pocket and point to the art he desired for Hitler. And they had little choice.
0: Mm. And Herman Goering himself wanted art, Did, didn't he? He also was a collector.
1: Yes, also an art connoisseur.
0: Mm. Now, uh, I don't want to jump around too much, but after the war, one of your husband's ancestors, I I would say, to some extent, gets in trouble uh, for having uh, sold or given uh, some of these art, uh, great works of art, uh, to the the Nazis. And he had to prove that he was coerced to do so.
1: (laughs) I know. I find that that post-war irony after the war to be accused of collaborating with the Germans. I mean, what choice? It's canvas, uh, canvas is an oil painting for your child's life or your family's life. Um, It's insulting without a a doubt that they had no choice. Um, And that's, so they, there was endless negotiating and endless um, planning to, to, uh, to keep the art coming in, and and they were forced to do so. We have so much information on that, and um, it, it's we've been discussing this among family members, including 97-year-old David, who lives in Switzerland, who remembers hiding in open graves and hiding um, Rembrandts in the trunk of their car from the Nazis. Hmm. So there's, there's so many little anecdotes that keep coming in postcards we found a postcard someone discovered last year um that it was from well i'll jump all over the place if i tell you but it's from the lost transport that train that drifted between enemy lines Hmm. and uh just showing their desperation one of the relatives that we lost 65 relatives
0: right i was going to ask you that's how many of your your husband's relatives who died in the Holocaust. Even yeah. though they were trading uh, art for some of the, some other lives.
1: Yeah, it, the, you know, the, the, his grandfather. Uh, it's not easy living with that guilt. You know, he had a tough time. In fact, Uncle Nathan, right after the war, he leaped from a building. He killed himself. And um, the grandfather, um, Benjamin. He had a tough time because he, he could not save everybody, in-laws and um, cousins and aunts and uncles, grandfathers, grandchildren, nephews, nieces. just it, it was endless because there was a large family and he had a choice to make. Someone compared it recently to King Solomon's choice. Mm-hmm. Who amongst this large family was he going to include in the escape on October 20th, 1942? So I can't imagine being in that position Mm. um there, there's a a poignant detail here um written about also the grant their mother, the cat's brother's mother, was at uh, at a holding camp in Westerbark. Her next stop would have been auschwitz, and they tr- were able to trade um another masterpiece I think it was a Rubens for Hitler's April twentieth birthday, and then uh, she was saved, released the last minute. So things like that, um, you know, what do you do? Mm. You you have to uh, come up with something.
0: We're talking with. They
1: were very lucky for tangible items.
0: We're talking with Janet Lee Berg, author of Rembrandt's Shadow, and uh, this story or the true one that you're talking about from uh, World War II, involving your husband's uh, family, the two art dealers uh, named uh, Katz and Benjamin and, and Nathan uh, why did how did this come to be that you uh, decided to write a book about this and in particular an, a novel
1: Well you know when I first started writing this it was 13 years ago and I didn't even know most of the family didn't even know so much of this research that came into play after the artwork. Um, was discovered um, to be uh, questioned in question. Um, I, I thought their just their living through the Holocaust alone, was extraordinary history. So I started writing a love war story. And, you know, when I found out about the escape on the train, uh, I just felt like I had to, to write about that. It, it was... Um, it was like out of a movie. Uh, and speaking of movies,
0: <laughs> yes. if
1: you saw, um, Helen Mirren in the movie woman in gold, mm-hmm. um, written by Anne Marie O'Connor. Um, I, I, I felt like it, I was watching my husband's family on the screen. It was, it was a replica of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, Anne Marie O'Connor has endorsed your book or given you a,
1: Yes, she has. I jumped up to the ceiling when I got that endorsement. I also got one from Fern Michaels, the Queen of Family Sagas. And it's a lesson. They all have given me a lesson in, in um, their own stories.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: The statistics are, are insane. Um, not just the 6 million Jews, but also 60 million in total died during this conflict. One and a half million were children, mm-hmm. um, so it's hard to wrap your head around that. And you asked why I wanted to write this book, a, a novel. I, I cannot wrap my head around such numbers, so I feel like each story is a lesson, and each one. Six million should be told, and in, in, uh, personally, um, uh, for my husband's family, I, I feel that I'm, I'm tr- uh, giving tribute to the 65 lost.
0: Now you've made reference uh, to the exchange of a, of a painting and an incident on a train, as a group flees uh, uh, the Netherlands. Uh, well, anyway, flees the Netherlands. Can can you ex- explain that a little more detail? Uh, the you know the what happened. You know, at the last moment, uh, they were afraid they were going to be shot right there at this train station, weren't they?
1: Sure. Um, yes. At the last minute. Um after all that negotiating, the painting changed hands. and You know, the German signatures were put in place. Telegram was received telling them in code that Spain would accept affidavits in lieu of passports, and they escaped. But it was an incredibly frightening escape. It was October twentieth, 1942. They were escorted, the whole family, by high-ranking German officials. My husband's sister, Alma, was five and a half years old at the time, and she remembers the soldiers carrying guns and the German shepherds at their sides, and one of the officers said, I much rather would have been given the orders to shoot all of you. Uh, My husband's mother, whose real name was Vogue, like the magazine, Hmm. said they really didn't know if the train doors would open to their freedom or to the death camps. So that train ride was frightening, and then... When that ended, they got off the train, and they met a ship called the Marquis de Camillas And uh, in rough waters, with the fear of U-boats and torpedoes, uh, they sailed to the British West Indies and went to live in in an internment camp in Jamaica uh, and waited out the war there. And that's where my husband's brother, Murray, was born.
0: Hmm. And then finally, to the United States.
1: Yes. Uh, well, actually, my husband's mom, Vogue, uh, she left for the United States, and the rest of the family, they all went back to Europe. And um, they really weren't welcome there, I have to say.
0: This was after the war, though. Yeah. Right. We'll have more with uh, Janet Lee Berg, author of Rembrandt's Shadow, a, a novel. Uh, it's uh, out uh, new this year, published by Post Hill. But first, this message about the historian's podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore. I hope you enjoy this edition of the Historians podcast. We've been producing these weekly half-hour interview shows since twenty fourteen. Guests have included Adirondack's author Larry Gooley, Richard Norton Smith, author of On His Own Terms: A Life of Nelson Rockefeller and Albany uh, Times-Union reporter Paul Grandall and sports historian Mike Hauser. We keep going in large part because of your donations to our GoFundMe campaign that helps to pay for production expenses. Please donate at GoFundMe.com forward slash historians2016. If you'd rather send a check, please make it out to me, Bob Cudmore. Send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, one two three zero two. Thank you, and let's get back to our podcast interview with Janet Lee Berg about her book *A Rembrandt's Shadow*. You mentioned the uh, the troubles that the family had after the war. I mean, these are uh, dramatic stories, but then uh, everyone's living in the aftermath of of what happened uh, after the war, and. Uh, Well, not too many years ago, but back in 2007, uh, the New York Times uh, did a story about your husband's family, uh, headlined, Heirs Make Huge Claim Over Dutch Works of Art. Uh, They're trying to get, uh, the family's trying to get the artworks back that had belonged uh, to their ancestors who were art dealers?
1: Yes. 187 paintings and two tapestries. Are
0: in question. Hmm. And w- why? D- well, I mean, that's a lot of artwork. The, yeah. as I understand it, maybe that rather than asking you to explain why the Dutch government won't give it back, I mean, I, as I understand it, they're saying that, that you know it's now theirs. You know that, uh, and they're not sure that, that these weren't willing transactions that the uh, men made in World War Two to sell uh, the art to the Germans. Is that? Uh, basically what there's what they're saying
1: yeah um... they two things they they want new documentation which over seventy years later is pretty difficult to come up with and also what is insulting is they want us to prove duress and i asked, what jew was not under duress uh, during the holocaust um... of all the art returned from austria and germany which the majority was returned to, Europe, to European nations. Only 12% of the art um, in Holland was returned to the rightful owners. Um, it, it's difficult. I, I don't really know. I just think the right thing should be done. They, they have these masterpieces hanging on the walls uh, without provenance, and it uh, just has to be looked into.
0: Didn't didn't they make an offer to I mean, the Dutch government to give back one painting or something like that?
1: Yes, they did give back one painting, which in, we're happy about. That proves that there was duress.
0: Hmm. How does the uh, family or family members uh, forgive what happened during the Holocaust?
1: I can't speak for them. I'm I'm not even Jewish, My my husband's Jewish, of course, and my children are half jewish hmm. um, i you know it's a it's such a personal thing uh forgiveness i don't know i i personally i can't forgive monsters uh i I could understand is more of the word how people are so afraid that they do terrible things um, maybe just to save themselves or uh, they turn away. They look away. Or, but then on the other hand, there's the heroes and the angels that that took children in, Jewish children in, and and um, as if they were their own. So, you know, I have to look at both sides.
0: Mm. What's uh, the meaning of the title of your book? You know, Rembrandt's shadow.
1: That's a good question. I think it's a double entendre. It's, uh, well. Rembrandt was a master of, of uh, light and shadow, and it's almost like a shadow. It's haunting, you know. It's following through generations. We must never forget, of course. Mm. History does repeat itself, unfortunately. So I, I would love for my readers to be people who are not very aware of the Holocaust, which I am in disbelief that I'm still meeting people who are 60 years old who don't know anything about it, and also for the younger readers, I, I, my style of writing, I put in simple terms because it's generational, and I want my grandchildren to also um, learn about it, and I feel like they can through a novel. A lot of history should be taught through novels.
0: Hmm. But there's a certain responsibility then to to get at least the historical details accurate.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes.
0: Yeah. Is this your first novel?
1: Yes, it is. Wow. I have a sequel coming out, um, hopefully next year. It's called Restitution. And, uh, it, well, you'll see. It's
0: <laughs> right. I mean, following Very exciting. It, Fal- it took
1: everything out of me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, there's a love-hate relationship with writing.
0: Mm. Will the sequel... Grueling. Um, okay. Will the <laughs> Will the sequel follow the same group of characters? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, it will, and more, right. and more. And the story, it's uh, playful. The next story, there's humor in it. Um, yeah, it's different than this first one, uh, but it does also entail some of the
0: history. How, uh, you know... We've been uh, talking about Rembrandt's shadow, based on a true story about art dealers uh, Benjamin and uh, Nathan Katz and their other, other family members, and they are ancestors of your husband Bruce Berg. But he he was born in America. Is that is that true, or what? What's his story?
1: Oh yes, he was born in Manhattan, and you know his parents. Well, his his mom, his dad. Um he's of russian background he's also from manhattan his dad but he was an american in the american military at that camp gibraltar in the british west indies and that's how he met his mom um, uh can you repeat the question now i just lost that no, I was track. just wondering <laughs> how
0: you know how your husband's doing i mean
1: oh he's fine i mean he um he there were silent years uh, Many survivors of the Holocaust live with guilt because they did survive. And there there were silent years. So he he didn't know a lot. His mother repeated things once in a while. um, Like she didn't know if the train doors would open, really would open to their freedom or to the death camps. I remember her saying that quite a few times. Right. But she didn't share much else. And his sister was only five and a half. Um, uh, Yeah, it you know it's a ama- he's amazed this is all uh surreal
0: mm-hmm. one uh point uh is that you and your husband sounds like you have a a nice life now you live in this uh in this the hamptons on long island which is uh to tell you the honest truth I've never been there i mean i understand it's a very nice <laughs> well, part well we moved of- <laughs> now we
1: live in charleston south carolina oh
0: you've moved from the the hamptons okay
1: yes we did live next to the Hamptons, not in the Hamptons. Okay, okay. <laughs> so there's a difference. But, um, yeah, we went. The beaches there are, <laughs> that's where you write. It's a very artsy literary area. And I went back to school at an old age, and I got my MSA in creative writing. And my professors were incredible. I had Ursula Heggie. Mm. I had uh, Frank McCourt. <laughs> yes, a Joel famous. Jewel Pfeiffer. Yeah. Incredible professors.
0: Mm. And you uh, were a journalist. You wrote, and I just thought it had an unusual name, you wrote for something called Dan's Paper, was it?
1: Yes, Dan's Papers. Um, that was my first stab at writing, um, getting published. And I mostly wrote, I mean, this is a real strain for me to go from uh, being a humor writer to uh, a novel about the Holocaust. But um, someone had to step up to the plate to write this novel, <laughs> Um, so, yes, I wrote for that paper, and I got to interview many celebrities out in the Hamptons, which was very, very exciting. And believe it or not, I'm extremely shy, so I totally threw myself in the fire. And one of my favorite interviews, uh, most most were in person, but this one was on the phone for almost an hour with Linda Ronstadt, and I just love that
0: that yeah. woman. Yeah, she has quite a story to tell.
1: Yeah, she, she was great. Uh, who else? Isabella Rosalini, um, some musicians like um, Robbie Krieger from the Doors. Um, who else? Um, from the Birds, uh, that group, um, having um, well, a moment. Right. What did? Uh, um, yeah.
0: Now again, Linda Ronstadt's quite well known. What what did she tell you that surprised you?
1: Um. I, I think the most surprising thing, well, actually that she was such a humble person and she, she's the one who wanted to get, she's the one that asked uh, if we could stay longer on the phone and I said, are you sure? <laughs> it's almost an hour. Um, pretty much, my, let me see if my memory fails me, um, just being on the road and also her home life with her family, singing in the kitchen with her sisters barefoot and and uh, a lovely life, just a humble life. And I I just think it's very exciting.
0: Mm. And so it sounds like you're uh, going in the direction of being a, a full-time writer.
1: Uh, it looks that way. I have a children's book coming out um, in another year or so. Um, that's complete. I don't know when the sequel will be coming out, but hopefully next year. So, and I write for a local uh, community paper here, um, which is also humor. <laughs> uh, that's really my forte. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the, the children's uh, book sequel, you said. You mean the sequel to Rembrandt Shadow, or is this something uh, something else?
1: No, no. The children's book um, is actually a story about a ship that a sunken ship in the caribbean that will be very colorful and fun and have a happy ending compared to uh, uh this subject that i write about now
0: yeah you were uh, listing your uh, writing teachers up at the uh, college on long island sounds like quite a uh quite a crew oh, did, yeah do you, do you remember any of their specific words of advice uh, to a writer starting out That's-
1: Yes, that's a good question, I, I do. Um, well, I remember uh, almost all of them stressed that you should really keep your writing simple, big words, don't make uh, a great story, don't worry about that, just get the bones down. And, um, you know, I, I guess I stress that. Frank McCourt was so funny, and the way he shared what was so painful for him to share in his book uh angela's ashes it it was i was uh mesmerized being in that class and they all pretty much said the same thing uh keep it simple and uh just just write and tell your story as if you're sitting next to a friend in a diner or a stranger on an airplane just you know just be real
0: when when you write I mean let's say when you have a big project like Rembrandt's Shadow, do you write every day?
1: I did write every day for oh so many years it it took thirteen years well, to write two books a sequ- including the sequel, and I found myself either on the beach at the shoreline um or stuck with uh stuck at my computer with my golden retriever at my side and many, many hours I spent. This is a strange place. Uh, I would take my yellow legal pad and I would sit next to a horse farm with my two golden retrievers breathing down my neck in the car with the heat turned on in in the middle of the winter because I had to get out of my house. And I didn't really know where to go. I was distracted in, in every place, uh, even even in the library. I had to go sit at this horse farm because I love horses. And I know that's a funny Funny place to end up, but uh, I got so many hours of writing done there,
0: Mm. and my
1: dogs were patient.
0: (laughs) Well, I think many authors, you know, have all these almost like superstitions about writing. You can't hear this, or you can't, uh, you know, the refrigerator turning on bothers you, or something like that.
1: Yes, I I could understand that. Uh, Mostly the laundry piling up would bother me or getting dinner ready. Yeah, well, to and, tell you the truth.
0: and being at home and you're in front of all that, thats uh, that distracts you. Well, Janet Lee Leigh- Berg, I think... Berg, my I think-
1: husband would come home and say, where's dinner? And I didn't even know. I didn't even look up at the clock to know that I'd been writing since 8 in the morning.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: and then he'd walk in at 6 at night. And well, I didn't even realize. Sometimes I didn't eat.
0: Okay. Well, Janet Lee Berg, I thank you very much for joining us. We're just out of time. She is author of Rembrandt's Shadow. You've been listening to the Historians Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.
1: Thank you, Bob.